<clears throat> we want to try to get in here before the rapture. I want to try to get this in before the 12 o'clock rapture. <laughs> they should have some notes. Uh, John has some over here. And uh, does everybody have notes? Anybody who doesn't have notes? Everybody's got notes? Okay. Last week in our study, we uh, <clears throat> were looking at the relationship of the return of Christ to the millennial kingdom. Does Christ return after the millennial kingdom or before the millennial kingdom? Remember, we said that there are two positions, post-tribulationism and amillennialism. Uh, even though they have different names, they actually have Christ returning after the kingdom. In post-millennialism, the church converts the world and then the millennium comes in as a result of the preaching of the gospel and then Christ returns after the millennium. And the amillennial position, we're in the millennium now. The church is the kingdom. We're in the millennial kingdom. And so sometime, anytime, uh, the Christ will return and we'll go into the eternal state. There is no actual earthly millennium other than what we're in right now. But our church holds the position of premillennialism, remember, that says that Christ will return sometime, could be today, uh, sometime, we don't know when, and he will establish a millennial kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. So I said we began last week by looking at our statement of faith here in our introduction, if you have the notes there. I'll just read that again. We believe in the second coming of Christ, that his return will be personal, visible, premillennial, and glorious. So there it is, a premillennial return. Um, a, glor a blessed hope, the time being unrevealed, yet always imminent, which means it could happen at any moment. That when he comes, he will first remove his church from the earth by resurrection and translation. There's the rapture and the resurrection. Then pour out God's righteous judgments on the unbelieving world. There's the tribulation period. Afterward, descend with his church and establish his glorious kingdom over all nations for a thousand years. At the close of which he will raise the unrighteous dead for their final judgment. So, as I say, the statement is a premillennial statement. And there's the sort of just a simple diagram, simplified diagram of end time events, just showing the church age, the second coming, and then the kingdom, the thousand year millennial reign, and then eternity. So that's premillennialism. But as I say, this diagram doesn't take into consideration two different forms of premillennialism. There are two primary Forms are two differences of opinion among those who hold to a premillennial return of Christ. And those are pre-tribulationism, the pre-trib position, 
and post-tribulationism. Pre-tribulationism, pre-trib, or post-tribulationism. The tribulation, as I'm sure you're familiar with, is a seven-year period between the end of the church age and the millennium. Jesus predicted a unique time of distress that has not been since the beginning of the world. Matthew 24 is a lot about the tribulation period. He says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and will never be. Matthew 24, 21. Revelation 7, 14, during the tribulation, speaks of those who have come out of great tribulation. And many other texts reference the tribulation period, Jeremiah 37 and so forth. Daniel 9.27 is the key text, and we don't have time to look at Daniel's prophecy there in detail in Daniel chapter 9. It's part of that 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. I don't know if you've had a chance to study that. Daniel makes a prediction, uh, or he's given a prediction about 70 weeks are determined for the future of Israel. Uh, 490 years, and it, it speaks about this last week in Daniel 9:27, the last seven-year period. This last 70th week of Daniel is seven years long, and it says there, he, it's talking about the Antichrist in Daniel 9:27. he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, one week or one seven-year period, in the middle of the seven, in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that calls desolation until the end that is, dec- that is decreed, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. <clears throat> so this is saying that this tribulation period is seven years long. The tribulation begins when the Antichrist signs a covenant with Israel, Daniel chapter 9 here. This is also mentioned in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, he breaks the covenant, sets himself up in a restored temple in Jerusalem, demands to be worshipped as God. That's really the heat of the tribulation period then. Seven years. I'm sorry. Seven years, that's good. Yeah, seven years. So in the middle of the week, in the middle of that seven-year period, three and a half years in, the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple in that three and a half years, that that week. Daniel 70 weeks, but those weeks are weeks of years. So each week is seven years. So on the top of page two, we see, I put the tribulation period in there, the church age, then the seven-year tribulation period, then the kingdom and eternity. So I say the issue to be decided is whether Jesus returns before the tribulation to rapture the church, that would be pre-tribulationism, or does Jesus not return until after the tribulation to rapture the church, that is post-tribulationism. So there's premillennialists who hold to pre-trib and some are post-trib. Now, most churches, most churches that are pre-trib like ours, are pre-mill like ours, are pre-trib. You don't run into a lot of post-tribulationists, but there are some around. Now, the word rapture, we're talking about rapture. I just mentioned here that the word rapture itself is not found in Scripture. It comes from a Latin word, rapto, which was used to translate the Greek verb harpazo, 
translated caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up. There's that rap, uh, uh, harpazo raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we ever be with the Lord. Sometimes people will say, well, <clears throat> the word, the rapture is not mentioned in scripture. That's true. The word is not mentioned, but the concept, the truth is the word Trinity is not mentioned in the scriptures. A lot of theological words we use that are not mentioned in scripture, but they're still true biblically. So there is a rapture where we'll be caught up. First Thessalonians four talks about it here. Other scriptures mention the rapture, John 14, and we'll talk about that one in a moment. So the chart directly below here, E, illustrates post-tribulationism. That is, the church goes through the seven-year tribulation periods, after which the church is raptured, meets Christ in the air, and immediately returns to earth. So I've tried to illustrate that with the eras. So in the post-tribulation scheme, the church goes through the tribulation, Christ returns, raptures the church, we're caught up in the air, but we immediately return back to earth for the millennial kingdom. Now I say here, F, our church holds the pre-tribulation position, which is reflected in the wording of the statement of faith. It says that Jesus' second coming is imminent. It could happen at any time. If you're really a post-tribulationist, it's hard to hold to imminency because the next thing on the prophetic calendar is not the rapture, the coming of Christ, it's the tribulation period. You'd be looking for the tribulation period, one would think, since it comes next before the rapture of the church. But our, our statement of faith says his coming is imminent, that is, it could happen at any moment. There are no prophesied events which have to happen. Christ will come and then the tribulation will begin <clears throat> sometime shortly after. So the chart below, that is on page three, illustrates pre-tribulationism. You can see the church age, and you can see the rapture, according to pre-tribulationism. Christ comes back, raptures us, takes us back to heaven. Both those who have already passed away will get their glorified bodies. We'll, if we're, if Christ were to come today, we'd be caught up in the air. We'd be taken back to heaven for this seven-year tribulation period. So while the tribulation period is going on earth, we will be in heaven. The church will be in heaven for the marriage of the Lamb and so forth. And then we'll return at the second advent, part of that second coming. We'll return seven years later to the earth and Christ will destroy his enemies, set up the kingdom, and we'll go into the millennial kingdom. So what are the arguments that one might use to establish or prove or point to the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, which our statement of faith uh argues for and says directly. Well, there are direct statements of Scripture that seem to indicate a pre-tribulational rapture. One of them is Revelation 3.10. Here's what Revelation 3.10 says. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. 
Now, we noticed last week in chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation, there uh, they describe uh, the present time, John's own time, chapters 1 through 3. And then chapter 4 in Revelation begins the tribulation period, eschatological events. So chapters 1 through 3 are present time for John, and then he talks about the things that will happen after this time, chapter 4 and following. So the tribulation period begins with chapter 4 and continues through chapter 19. The millennium begins in chapter 20. So most of Revelation is about the tribulation period. That seven-year period is chapters 4 through 19. Be here, in Revelation 3.10, Jesus is making a promise to the church of Philadelphia, one of the seven churches. Remember in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking to seven churches in the book of Revelation These churches were historical churches in the province of Asia. These churches are at a minimum representative of conditions common in local churches, not only at the end of the first century, but also in any subsequent period of church history. So John is speaking, or Jesus there is speaking, John is writing about the church of Philadelphia and other churches, but he speaks to a local New Testament church, and certainly these churches are at least representative of churches in the first century, but also other periods. It's also possible that these churches are prophetic and that they prefigure seven consecutive stages of the history of the church. That is, some will hold that if you look at those seven churches, each one represents a certain period of church history. That's possible That's not necessary for the argument that I'm making right here. I'm just saying that the Church of Philadelphia is a New Testament church. And here's what Jesus promises a New Testament church. He promises them, see, that they'll be kept from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth. Now, this period is described as the hour, a well-known, clearly defined period of time Described elsewhere in scripture, it's not a local persecution applicable only to this local church, but one that will come on the whole earth. That's the future seven-year tribulation that John will describe in chapters 4 through 19. And John says here, or Jesus says, uh, I will keep you from the hour. The expression here, kept from, keep you from denotes deliverance from. This is the Greek preposition ek. So ek means out of. You're being taken out of. From in the sense of out of. You're kept out of this period that's going to come upon the whole earth. And that's only true. This promise is only true, I think, really, if the church is raptured before the tribulation period begins. That's the only way that the church can be kept out of that tribulation that's going to come on the whole earth. So Revelation 3.10 is a verse, I think, that points to the fact the church would be raptured before the tribulation begins. Then on page 4, we have 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Paul says, They tell how you turn to God from idols, speaking to the church at Thessalonica, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. 
Now, the coming wrath here is not the wrath of hell. The context of 1 Thessalonians deals with the events related to the second coming. So if you, if we had time to read through 2 Thessalonians, you'd see that he's talking, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you'd see he's talking about end time events associated with the second coming. Every chapter deals with the coming of Christ. And I've just put like 110, wait for his son from heaven, 217, the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. 313, when our Lord uh, Jesus comes with all his holy ones. 417, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 523, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming. So Paul says that Jesus is going to rescue us, that is him and the church, from this wrath that's coming associated with the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, this tribulation. Uh, B here, the Thessalonian believers, probably because of severe persecution, uh, probably should be thought they were enduring, uh, uh, that they were enduring, had become to believe that they might have missed the rapture and were in the tribulation. That is, Paul comes to Thessalonica, he teaches them about the tribulation and so forth, and here, if you read First Thessalonians, they're in a lot of distress. They're in a lot of tribulation. They're, they're suffering a lot of persecution uh, in Thessalonica. And apparently they had come to believe, hey, what's happened here? This looks like the tribulation period here. And Paul talked about we would be taking, what's happened? We're, you know, they're in distress about this. Uh, so Paul promises them again here, you'll be rescued from this coming wrath, this future tribulation. We have the same kind of thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The context here is still speaking of eschatological. I should have said here, wrath, that is eschatological in the sense of talking about the second coming of Christ. We're talking about the wrath, not of not of eternal damnation wrath, but the wrath of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he says, we're not appointed to suffer that kind of wrath. B, again, the Thessalonians are promised they will not suffer the wrath of the tribulation, which can only be accomplished if they are removed from earth by the means of the rapture described in First Thessalonians, the previous chapter, 4, 13 through 18. All right, another passage that seems to indicate pretty strongly that the church will be raptured, taken out, before the tribulation begins is John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Remember the King James has mansions there, many mansions. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Remember? You don't remember that song? Too, too, too young or something. Here. Uh, so the, the, the NIV translates it runes because the word is not exactly a mansion. It's a dwelling place. It's some sort of place where you dwell. The, 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 word, the Greek word itself doesn't necessarily mean a mansion per se. I'm sure it'll be nice. My father's house has many rooms, many dwelling places. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be with me where I am. So this passage has some parallels to what we just discussed in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That is, the rapture results in our presence with Christ. Jesus says that you also may be where I am. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The rapture results in our comfort. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. And Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So B, Jesus says he's going to heaven. I'm going to my father's house to prepare a room for them. This, I say, dwelling place here. Later, Jesus will return. I will come back at the rapture and take the church back to heaven with him. Take you to be with me. As the diagrams below demonstrate, only a pre-tribulational rapture can be reconciled with John 14, 1 through 3. So, if you look at the pre-tribulational rapture, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Jesus comes back at the rapture. He raptures us. He takes us back to the Father's house. He takes us back to heaven. We're there with him. We'll be with him. We do return in seven years during the millennial reign. But look at the post-tribulational rapture. As I say here, the post-tribulational rapture does not fit John 14.3 since the church is not taken back to the Father's house. Because in the post-tribulational rapture, the church goes through the tribulation period. Then the rapture takes place. We're caught up in the air, but we don't go anywhere, but just right back to earth. You're caught up and you go right back. In fact, the rapture has no real purpose in post-tribulationism. What is the purpose of being caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air if we come back immediately to the earth? There doesn't seem to be any real purpose in being caught up if we're just right back again. But in a pre-trib rapture, we're caught up. We go back to heaven to be with Christ. Various events take place. The judgment seat of Christ, the wedding of the Lamb is there, as John 19, as we'll see. So that's some texts that seem to indicate that the church will be raptured before the tribulation begins. B, another kind of set of our one argument here is the absence of the church in Revelation tribulation passages. That is in the book of Revelation. I say the church is mentioned 18 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapters 4 through 18 where he's talking about the tribulation period begins in chapter 4, John describes the tribulation period in great detail, but makes no mention of the church on earth at all. It seems like a strange omission for all that time talking about the tribulation. If the church is there on earth, it's just not mentioned at all. I say this is to be expected if the church is raptured before the tribulation in Revelation 4. John does not mention the church again until chapter 19, when the church is called the Lamb's Bride. Chapter 19 is at the end of the tribulation, just before the Lord's return to earth. It's universally agreed that the Lamb's Bride refers to the universal church. Revelation 19.7 says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So the scene in heaven is the wedding of the Lamb, 
The wedding could only go forth in heaven if the entire church, the bride, is in heaven. How can you have the wedding if the whole bride's not there? Bride's not there. In post-tribulationism, part of the church is still on earth during the tribulation. It's still going through the tribulation. The only people in heaven are those who have died and gone to be with Christ, part of the church. That is, our fellow believers that have gone on to be with Christ. But it presents a problem. All right. Uh, page six. The imminency of the rapture. The imminency of the rapture. The imminency of the rapture means that it can happen at any moment. So imminent means at any moment. <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily mean soon. Uh, it's probably not the best to say Jesus is coming soon down in the south where I was saved. You can probably tell by my accent I'm from the south. Can you tell? Some people tell me that and I, I don't really hear it myself. I, anyway. But anyway, uh, down south where I was saved, we used to have this song we'd sing, Jesus is coming soon, morning, day, night, or noon. Did you ever, anybody ever hear that song? Or this? Yeah, okay. I see all these good people here. But technically, you know, it's probably, it's not the best to say that because soon means in a short period of time. And we don't know that Jesus is coming in a short period of time. It may be today. Hopefully it is. But it may be a thousand years. We just don't have any knowledge of that. So it's imminent. It could happen at any time. Which means that there are no prophetic signs that must precede it. But in post-tribulationism, the rapture cannot be imminent, at least in the sense it is in pre-tribulationism, because you've got the tribulation that has to come before the rapture. The tribulation, with all its spelled out events, must precede it. So there are some indications in Scripture of imminency, that, that the writers of Scripture thought of Christ's coming as could happen at any moment. They weren't looking for the tribulation. They were looking for Christ to come back at any moment, like we are. So 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. listen, I'll tell you a mystery. Paul talking about the rapture here. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So I'm arguing here that Paul here includes himself as a possible participant in the rapture. For Paul, he thought of the rapture as happening at any moment. He thought it could happen during his time. And he says, we will all not all sleep. We will all be changed we'll, we'll, and so forth. So I'm looking at the we here. First Thessalonians 1.10 and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath, including Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are not, who are left, who are still, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Maybe more even to the point is uh, number three here. Believers are encouraged to wait for the return of Christ, not the tribulation period. So we're encouraged in various scriptures. I've listed some of them here. To wait for, look for Christ. 
not to look for the tribulation period. 1 Corinthians 1.7, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift, Paul says to the Corinthians, as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the fact that believers are encouraged to look for the coming of Christ, to wait for the coming of Christ, suggests that that's the next thing that has, that's going to happen. The next thing that's going to happen is Christ is going to come back, rapture the church, and so forth. But that's not true in the post-tribulational position. The next thing that's going to happen is the tribulation period. Christ can't come until the tribulation takes place first. Another argument that we could make for the um, pre-tribulational position that Christ must return to rapture his church before the tribulation is the purpose of the tribulation period. The tribulation, as I say here, was designed for the nation of Israel, not for the church. So this comes down to that distinction between Israel and the church. We're not Israel, and the church, Israel's not the church. We have different purposes. God has a different purpose for us. In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the tribulation is specifically designated as the time of trouble for Jacob. And the King James has Jacob's trouble, the time of trouble for Jacob. So it's for Israel. The, the tribulation period is designed, it's set up as being for the nation of Israel. As we noted above, the tribulation is the 70th week, the last seven-year period of God's dealing with Israel according to 924. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people. Now that's seventy-sevens. Each one of those seven is a seven-year period, a week, seven, a week of years. So seventy-sevens, 490 years, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy place. But particularly, Daniel is told, this is decreed for your people, for Israel. The point of the tribulation period is to accomplish some things God wants to accomplish with Israel. Luke twenty-one twenty-three. Jesus describes the tribulation as a period of great distress in the land and wrath against this people, Jesus says, that is, against Israel. I say the chief purpose of the tribulation is to prepare ethnic Israel for the Messiah and the Messianic Millennial Kingdom. Thus, it's not surprising that the church would be removed before the tribulation commences. One final reason here that... Uh, I think argues for the fact that the church must be raptured before the tribulation is the need for people to enter the millennium in their natural bodies. Now, what does that mean? That means there's a lot of text in scripture that describe the millennial, the thousand year reign of Christ, and it describes people in the millennium as being in their natural human bodies. Now, we know we'll be there as the church 
in glorified bodies. We'll be there with Christ, but we'll be in a glorified state. We won't be doing the kind of things that normal some that normal a lot of that normal humans do. Some of the things we won't be doing. And so there's going to be a need if we're going to fulfill these prophecies for people to be there in their normal, natural human bodies. Let's see how that works. So let me see if we can get through this argument. Number one, only saved people will enter the millennial kingdom. So there's no unsaved people who will be in the millennial kingdom. Jesus says, verily, verily, I tell you to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. So unless one is regenerated, unless one is born again, you can't go into the kingdom of God. So only saved people will enter the millennium. Yet, I say, it's also clear that some who enter the kingdom will do so in their natural bodies. In the kingdom we read, now I've just chosen one passage here that we looked at last week, Isaiah sixty-five twenty. There it says, never, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child, and the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. So we know during the kingdom there will be infants, there will be babies born. So there will be people in their natural human bodies who will be having babies in the millennium. And there will be people dying. That won't be you and I, we'll be in our glorified bodies. So people, some people will die during the millennium. Some people will be born during the millennium. In the kingdom, there are those who are born and some who die. These saved people who enter the kingdom, remember, you've got to be saved to enter the kingdom. So there's going to be some saved people who enter the kingdom in their natural bodies. These saved people who enter the kingdom in their natural bodies will have children. So there's going to be saved people who enter the kingdom in their natural bodies. You and I, as part of the church, will be glorified. They'll enter in their natural bodies. They will have children. They will have infants. Some of these children will be saved. They'll be there. They'll be able to see King Jesus right there in the millennium. So you can imagine people will be saved. But some will not be saved. Though outward conformity to the king will be required, he's going to rule with a rock, with an iron scepter. But some people will not be saved, even in the millennium. <clears throat> it shows you the depravity. <laughs> Many say that's one of the purposes of the millennium is to show the depravity, human depravity, how it's still, how terrible it is. Even in the presence of God. Now we know Jesus walked the earth and one of his disciples was Judas, an apostate. So it's possible to be right in the presence of Jesus and still reject him, still turn from him because we are inherently sinful. Without the grace of God, we'll reject Jesus. So there'll be people who hate him in the millennium. They hate Jesus, <laughs> but they'll have to outwardly conform because they'll be ruling, ruling with a rod of iron. Two, some of those who are born in the kingdom will join Satan in his final rebellion. Satan is imprisoned in the abyss at the beginning of the millennium. We looked at that last week, Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. The angel comes down at the beginning of the millennium and binds Satan in the abyss for a thousand years. So he can't deceive the nations during the millennium. 
but he's released at the end. When the thousand years are over at the end of the millennium, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Number three, at the rapture of the church, believers, whether alive or dead, receive glorified bodies. So when we're raptured, those who are already dead will be raised from the grave. Their bodies will be glorified and those of us who are alive will receive a glorified body. Paul says that, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We won't all die physically. But we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. This is 1 Corinthians, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, same thing. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed, those of us who are alive. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. So at the rapture, when Christ returns, every person who is on earth, every saved person will be glorified. All those who have gone on to be with the Lord will be glorified. But there won't be any saved people who are not in a glorified body. Now notice, if the rapture occurs after the tribulation, just before the millennium, there will be no one to enter the kingdom in their natural bodies as scripture requires. Can you see that? So if you have the rapture at the end of the tribulation period, the rapture takes place, and at the rapture, Jesus returns Everybody receives a glorified body. Every saved person. There are no unsaved people who enter the kingdom. But who are these people who enter the kingdom in their natural bodies who have children? Well, there are none in the post-tribulation position. There's nobody to enter the kingdom in their natural bodies because Christ returns and everyone receives a glorified body. But on page 8, you see in the pre-trib position... The rapture takes place. We receive our glorified body. We're in heaven with Christ. But on the earth, during the tribulation period, people are saved. People are saved during the tribulation period. And when Christ returns, they enter the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. The church returns. We return with Christ. We rule and reign with Christ in our glorified bodies. But these people are in their natural bodies. So it seems very difficult to come up with how do you get people in their natural bodies in the millennium if you have a post-tribulational position. All right. Sounds good. Just uh, make, make this one point. Okay. And uh, that is, in the millennium, you've got people in their natural bodies, you've got people in their glorified bodies. That's weird. But just make the point that that's happened before. Because Jesus had his glorified body, and he was with the, uh, when he was with walking the earth for 40 years. Uh, Pastor Ken was making the point that sometimes people object to the idea uh, that we could have a millennium, that is, all millennialists object to the fact 
that we could have a, a millennial kingdom where we are there in our glorified bodies and there are people there in their natural bodies together. How does that work? That just seems impossible. And he was making the point, it's not impossible because Jesus was here on earth after his resurrection in his glorified body and he dealt with people, his disciples, over that 40-day period before his ascension. He was there for 40 days in his glorified body interacting with of people in their natural bodies. So it's not impossible, as some might say. Or say. Yes, ma'am. Can you make a clarification? Um, you indicated that there will be um, only saved people entering into the millennial kingdom. So that would indicate that there will be become believers during the tribulation period. Right. And that being the case, um, you also indicated that that it's basically for Israel. Do we assume that the those who become believers are Israelites or Jewish? Well, there will be Israelites, but Gentiles too. Gentiles. So Jews and Gentiles. So in other words, it's whoever survives the tribulation period and becomes a believer. Right, becomes a believer and comes through. Then there's the judgment of the nations. We didn't talk about that. The sheep oh. and the goats and so forth like oh. that. That, that so separate. Will be a judgment prior to the millennium? Yeah. Also? The sheep and the goats. So I didn't, okay. I didn't talk about all the judgments there, but kind of trying to simplify on that. But yeah. there is a judgment. And so those who are not saved will be judged, cast into hell, and then the saved. Yes. And then, and then these people will go in the millennium. And they will be Jews and Gentiles here. Yes, ma'am. I wasn't supposed to have any time for questions here. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, that was in some sort of temporary body. Uh, so angels and, uh, you know, angels can manifest themselves in a human-like temporary body. We don't know the exact nature of that. It's, it's a, just a temporary, would you say a temporary kind of body? We don't usually call it a glorified body because it's not a permanent body. It's not a glorified body we think of as a human body that's been transformed. But it's just a temporary, so angels can manifest themselves temporarily in a physical form. Yes, sir. In, in Psalm 72, it, it's all or mostly about the millennial kingdom. And it, it talks about the king rescuing the poor and the oppressed. Would that be like, would, would rebellion pop up and, and Jesus have to rescue them throughout? Or is that just like at the, at the beginning of the I don't know. I'd have to look at Psalm 72. I can't tell you offhand. Yes, sir. During the tribulation period, as I remember it, people will want... You remember the tribulation period. Then. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I know. I'm just joking. I'm sorry. During the tribulation, people will want to die, but they won't be able to die. So there's been a... Is that correct? They'll be... Yeah, things will be so bad, you know. There's there's passages that indicate things will be so bad. That but even people who do accept Christ, will they be able to 
chaos on the next world or no? Well, some, some will die. Some will be martyred. There will be martyrs and they will be raised at the end of the tribulation period. I didn't go into all the resurrection parts, but the Old Testament saints are raised at the end of the tribulation period and tribulation martyrs are raised at the tribulation at the end of the period. Some will, those who do survive are the ones who will go in their natural bodies. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the glorious hope and appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have rescued us and delivered us, and we look forward to that wonderful day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.